This is On Target, a look at politics, crime, education, what's happening in Newfoundland and Labrador with the people who know. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your On Target host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And it's hard to believe, but the school year is coming to a close. Um, youngsters will be finishing up uh, school in the K-6 system on Thursday, most of them anyway. And uh, this is kind of timely. I have a meeting with my school uh, right after the show today to discuss some things about the year ahead and all those good things. But it's been another year marked by COVID closures and virtual learning with no certainty that we might see similar closures in the school year ahead. Of course, nothing is certain anymore, is it? What kind of an impact has that had on students and teachers? What about all the other issues facing schools, teachers and students aside from COVID? Well, my guest today is NLTA President Trent Langdon. Hello. Good afternoon, Linda. How you been? Great. So it's hard Good. to imagine, but the school year is coming to an end. Yeah, yeah. That, that feeling strikes all teachers, I think, this time of year, where it's a big sigh, and uh, you prepare and get your head around uh, the summer, and then starting up again. So yes, it's that time of year for sure. So how would you categorize the, this last year? Because I think heading into it, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that it was going to be yeah, yeah. normal, in quotations, whatever that means anymore, and it turned out to be anything but. Right, and I, I, like this time of year, there's always mixed emotions. You're, you're saying your goodbyes to your students. So you're wondering how they're going to do over the summer. You hope they're, they're safe and healthy and come back next year. Um, you know, you got that piece that's always going to be there as part of the system. But you're right, this 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 school year, in addition to the previous two, were uh, were very heavy, uh, and 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 our members are wearing that. The teachers are uh, are feeling a, a strain uh, in terms of the, you know the back and forth between virtual and online and uh, in face to face. The um, the the heightened stress on them right now to keep our buildings open when there's sub shortages and so on. So uh, it's it's a heaviness that's there in addition to just the overall tarness of, of being a teacher, I guess. Yeah, and they're the ones, though, that have to keep that positive face and keep the positivity going and that buoyancy. And I, there's yeah, no yeah. doubt that that comes easily to a lot of teachers because that's how they're built, if you know what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, when you're feeling some of these stresses and strains as well, that must be a little bit of that added pressure on them. Yeah, I think so, and uh, and that's I think by nature teachers are positive people, and, and we do what we can to make the learning experience as as healthy for children, and, and I guess uh, involve as much widespread learning as possible. But uh, there is a heaviness uh, that is there along with that, and you know we wear the weight of the families that we're supporting uh, and their children. We want to do what's best for them. We're wearing the weight of our own families, and you know most professionals this uh, in the last two or three years have struggled. Not just teachers, but uh, the school system is a little bit different in that it was. You know, it was commonly said that schools were the last to close and the first and the first to open, uh, and so we were the only institution uh, that uh, required mass gatherings of, of individuals throughout. Uh, so you know, it's 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 that kind of pressure that has now uh, come into place where schools are, have been remaining open, but uh, it, it hasn't been business as usual. You know, there's there's uh, uh, there's a hidden reality there right now of that the, the operations behind the scenes are, are really strained. And even though a lot of these pro protocols have been lifted and, yep. you know, there's many, many people out there will say rightfully so, uh, COVID still is out there in the community and it's spreading. 
It is, yeah. And so we've always got to keep that on the forefront because, you know, last last thing we want is this new school year to come and we'll be back where we are. Again, we have we have little control over, I guess, global movement of, of viruses and so on. But uh, if anything, we should have learned a great deal over the last two or three years as to as to how to approach these things. And uh, and our and our members are, are uh, uh, you know, they, they've they're, they're professional people anyway, but uh, they've been forced to to uh, to, uh, I guess, uh, expand their comfort levels around technology and so on. They've always been very well uh, well versed in that, but it's certainly jumping to and from uh, the virtual piece has, has raised the bar. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the uncertainty, I guess, that's also contributing to this past year or has been and, and certainly may contribute in the fall. So are there any concerns? Because I know I've, I've been talking to parents and I, I hear a lot of them say similar things. Are, are any concerns about the kind of an impact that COVID has had on the learning experience? Right, and I think you ask any educator, and uh, you know, it's the obvious things of a, of a child not being in school. We always promoted face-to-face learning; that that should be number one, if at all possible. Now, obviously, there was times when we had to close. Uh, we, we we certainly encouraged that. So, anytime a, a person is not getting that social emotional outlet that they need, or or the connections, we we always worry about that, and we tracked very closely those children who we had limited contact with throughout the pandemic. But I think any educator would say we're we're really not going to know the impacts on our students, whether you're talking kindergarten or grade six or grade 12, um, the impacts of, of what the pandemic truly has done in terms of delaying learning or, uh, you know, skipping key pieces for, for uh, development of certain children, uh, you know, for, for years to come. And then that's, I guess, that's a lot of research that needs to go into that. But you ask any, educa- any educator, uh, they're, they're concerned about the, uh, uh, what uh, students have missed over the last two or three years in spite of the extra efforts they put in to, uh, to really make sure it was as normal an experience as possible. And I know when all of this happened uh, two, almost three years ago, hard to imagine, but I know that the focus quickly turned in the school system towards wellness and ensuring that kids were feeling yeah, yeah. comfortable and, and, and well and not, you know, all of those stresses and strains. It was really the teacher in the classroom that had to navigate all of those things and make everybody feel safe. But are there any concerns about whether or not students are ready for some of those big transitions? We've got an awful lot of kids now graduating. Are they ready mm-hmm. for the world mm-hmm. beyond? Uh, there's other kids moving into the next grade level or moving into junior high or high school, for instance. Are they ready? Well, that, that's always the big hope, whether it's pandemic time or not, that we always want to make sure that we've done what we can for a child this particular school year and such that they can transition. But the obvious transition points are children, say, going into kindergarten, moving on to elementary school, moving on to junior high, moving on to senior high, and then the ultimate transition, I guess, is is off into the workforce. Uh, so we're always tracking that as best we can to ensure those transition times are strong. But just think about, you know, the, uh, the, the monkey wrench that's been thrown into uh, learning in the last two plus years uh, and, and, and the stress that's been on the system. And, you know, as I referenced earlier, schools may have been open, but there was immense stress on, on the school buildings to keep things moving as they needed. Our administrators were were doing what they could to keep things up and running, last-minute changes, scheduling nightmares, uh, uh, teachers being out and, and no replacements, so the sub shortage, all of these things. It might have looked like schools were up and running, and they were, but behind the scenes, it was, it was a real uh, strain and challenge to keep things moving. 
And I want to get into that now uh, after the break because you mentioned the sub shortage, and I know yep. efforts were made. Oh gosh, it feels like a million years ago now <laughs> to uh, fill some of those gaps. Um, I, I want to know how that worked out in the end, and yeah, sure. uh, also we'll talk a little bit about uh, recruitment and retention because I know that's a, a continuing issue. Um, mm-hmm. Our guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And we're back. My guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. The school K-12 year is coming to a close this week. And just before the break, Trent, you mentioned, of course, substitute teacher shortages, which, of course, was an issue even before COVID. And uh, I do know government announced some supports in that regard not too long ago. Is it still an issue or have things gotten a bit easier? Well, it's, it's a combination there, Linda, really. Uh, we've, uh, you know, the pandemic has certainly forced, obviously, a lot of our members off of work for uh, symptomology and, and sickness and so on. Uh, and as a result, uh, you know, our, our substitute teachers have been chewed up and, and pulled in. But there's such a shortage across the province right now. Uh, but it's not just this province. It's across the country and, and globally, really. Um, my, the last count I had heard is, uh, you know, across the world, we're short 30 million, 30 million teachers. Uh, so it, it's having an impact, uh, ultimately. And what I've been hearing from our members, and our, what's nice about, uh, I guess, this perspective is that we hear from all of our members from all parts of the province, in the Labrador, Northern Peninsula, South Coast. Um, and their experience has been this, is that uh, ultimately uh, they often go in during the day, uh, they have their lesson plans ready to go, and they may get uh, a note from the administration to say, look, okay, your prep period today is gone because you now have to cover this class, or you're teaching grade three, but guess what? Grade four will be with you this day or today as well because there's no there's no one to cover that room. Or, uh, uh, for example, there may be, uh, okay, we're going to put several classes into to the gymnasium because there's it's just we, we don't have enough people to cover. So uh, the average person or, or a parent, uh, you know, your child comes home from school, you may say, they typically do. I know my teenagers don't say a whole lot when they come from school. How was school? Great. And just go on. Uh, but it, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes maneuvering to make things work. And uh, to go back to your previous question, uh, the government did put, put, did invest monies into uh, guidance counselors and uh, expanding some administrative time and so on. And that was maintained for this school year. So that's, that's certainly very positive. I'll certainly give credit where credit is due. Um, but uh, there is such a, a shortage. Uh, it's not uncommon for a guidance counselor to be pulled to cover off and therefore the mental health supports that they normally would have or be able to offer uh, uh, can exist. So as you can see, when, when there's strains behind the scenes, uh, yeah, schools are staying open, but it, the system has been very strained and it hasn't been business as usual, even though the, the, the physical plants themselves have been opened. So teacher shortages around the world, how does that impact here specifically? How do we, how do we address that? Well, uh, <laughs> that's the ultimate question, isn't it? Uh, so, uh, you know, as an association, we're, we're working with government, we're working with the school districts, and we're working with Memorial University and any other group that really has a part to play here. Because this is about uh, training. It's about, uh, you know, making sure that Newfoundland and Labrador is a place that people want to come and teach. It's it's also about ensuring that our, our bright and, and younger teachers that are coming into the system don't decide to uproot and take teaching jobs elsewhere. So there's, uh, I guess, operational things that we could be working on 
around and make sure that we get the offers out to them first versus, say, Alberta coming and, and, and uh, picking up some of our new teachers. Uh, is there a way to, to uh, make sure that graduation rates are, are increasing at the university? Things That type of thing, because uh, they have significantly declined through the years, a number of uh, education graduates that are coming out, and that is the primary pipeline for teachers in this province, as you might suspect, is Memorial University. So there's a bigger um, uh, approach that needs to be taken around teacher recruitment and uh, and retention, especially for rural Newfoundland and Labrador, you know, to, to live in Metro and with all the amenities and so on. Uh, uh, for some people, that's an easy easy thing to, to, to want to get and to get into. But, uh, you know, for rural Newfoundland has so much to offer, Newfoundland and Labrador has so much to offer that, uh, you know, I, Many times, uh, younger teachers don't want to go there, uh, but uh, there are uh, approaches too. Like, let's train people where they are. So, if people are living in rural Newfoundland and Labrador, and they need training to come to them, uh, why not train people in their uh, in their communities? Uh, so, that type of thing, uh, we need to be a bit more creative, I think, as as a province in that regard. Uh, you mentioned that uh, education graduates have declined. Is that uh, a demographic issue or an economic one? I think it's a, it's a combination of things, uh, whether it be lesser people going into education, uh, the university having lesser seats, uh, economically, off, you know, whatever is able to be offered. It's a, it's a combination of things there. Uh, you know, years ago, first when I started uh, to, to get a substitute teaching day, you know, you'd, you'd pay money to, to actually go substitute, whereas now uh, there's nowhere near enough substitutes and we're relying on actually retirees. A significant number of our retirees have come back into the system to cover off uh, the, the shortfall. Uh, that is not an answer, nor is, is having our interns come into the system. It, it's, it's been great to assist, uh, but relying on interns and retirees to keep the system afloat is not a long-term plan, obviously. The NLTA uh, recently ratified a collective agreement for members in Labrador yeah. West. Uh, are they the only bargaining unit currently in negotiations? Well, there was. we have two bargaining units as teachers in this province, one being Labrador West and the other being the rest of the province. So it's a provincial uh, contract and a Lab West contract. So uh, that uh, the provincial contract right now, we uh, we may be in a position to, to open in the fall. Uh, but as for the Lab West uh, uh, contract, yeah, there, that was uh, negotiated and, and uh, uh, the agreement right just recently. So will that send, set the template then for uh, the rest of the province? Well, generally, you know, that, that that's, uh, I guess that's the follow through from the previous contract uh, discussions that we had provincially and so on. Uh, the 4% that most public sector unions had gotten, that's part of the new deal. And uh, just language around, uh, um, you know, for example, I'll just pull an example here, fostering of children, that's included under parenting leave, that kind of stuff. So uh, uh, it's uh, it's more or less an extension of, of the negotiations that would have taken place prior to, whereas uh, moving forward from this, it would be a new round in the fall. And I noticed recruitment and retention was addressed in this collective agreement yeah. with Labrador yeah. West. Is that specific to Labrador West? Because we often think about the competition that's created by the mines there. Yeah, so yeah, there, there, there is, a, there is a, certainly competition, you know, when you've got big uh, opportunities for, for strong salaries in certain sectors of, uh, of Labrador. Uh, but Labrador brings unique uh, circumstances to the table. Uh, you know, you've got the coast, you've got, you got the you know the more urban areas you've got the big companies you've got uh, very isolated areas so all of those things have, have brought a, another angle to to the recruitment and retention piece one area may be struggling with people because there's there's uh, quote unquote higher paying jobs in the area and others just simply can't draw someone to the area because of the isolated piece so um, you know we've reached out and we've had meetings with all MHAs from Labrador and we've we've expressed our concerns they've they've educated us in many ways on lots of different things that we uh, uh, 
we did know as certain uh, with regards to certain things around for example um the freight boat, which which services the coast, uh, if if that's not uh, in in is not in running order, you know that's a significant service that uh, a new person moving there, whether you're a teacher or not, or teacher or not, would want to avail of uh, to make sure that you get the supplies that you need. So those there's additional things in addition to education uh, that uh, that come into play when you talk about pulling people to Labrador. But to go back to my previous point, there there's been trainings in the past of where people in Labrador can be trained to become educators and can become uh, uh, education personnel and you know we need to revert back to that kind of thing rather than trying to pull everybody into Labrador let's you know there's some very a lot of quality people in Labrador are quite capable of, of learning to take on these skills and, and and are willing to do so it's just about bringing the service to them. When uh, our guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon and this being the end of the school year and Trent when we come back I want to talk to you a little bit about the teacher allocation review that's currently under uh, underway. I know yes. there have been lots of um, concerns raised by the NLTA about class size and composition in recent years. Uh, well, I want to touch on that a little bit when we come back right after the break. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. My guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon, and the school year is drawing to a close. Only a couple of days left, and Trent, the big news, I suppose, out of last year part of this uh, school year was the announcement of a, a, a committee being set up to assess the teacher allocation model and uh, for years it seems like the teacher allocation appeared to be based on numbers but the NLTA has long held that it really has to be based on classroom needs uh, so where is that process now? Well, yeah. So, you know, this is a review of the uh, of the formula and a review of the allocation model that currently exists. And uh, we've always uh, touted that it's it's so important to base, base it on needs versus, say, say a budget. Uh, you know, and, and I know full well we're an association of teachers and this is our working environment. But, uh, you know, what's important for your listeners to, to realize is that we're advocates for the, edu- the public education system. And, yes, it is our work environment. But this is a place where all of our children uh, in, the, in the entire province come every day. So uh, any any type of uh, uh, improvement in the learning and work environment is is beneficial to all, and that's that's the approach we take with this because uh, you know it's the allocation review. There there was no real plan to do this. Uh, we, we we pressured government to to uh, to take this on. Um, there was a commitment made, and they are following through on that. Uh, what we've been told is the recommendations. Uh, it seems seems as if they will be ready by the end of the summer. Uh, but the challenge always is then is to, is to ensure that the recommendations are in line with, with truly what's needed in, in, the, uh, um, in the system, but also to ensure government acts on, on those things. Uh, so, uh, you know, we are excited to, 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 to see what's going to come down the pipes with this, because this is the first time that it's truly been looked at in well over a decade. And teaching uh, this day and age is totally different than it was even, even 10 years ago. Uh, the realities are, are much, uh, uh, much different. The complexity of the classroom is much different, uh, the, the learning needs, which we've talked about in previous shows, uh, uh, the, you know, the mental health concerns, uh, the, uh, I guess, the the uh, other types of interference that may come into the learning environment, say, the cell phone, for example, and, and social media, you know, that, that, that type of thing all contributes to the complexity of the classroom, and, and our allocation model needs to reflect that. Are teachers actively part of this process? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, we I, I am confident, I, I, and I, I do feel our members have been uh, uh, approached and, and have been included in the process. There's a, There were surveys gone out to all different members, and, uh, you know, that was able to garner some information, but the, the, the better, uh, the stronger version of, of the consult was uh, with regards to the focus groups and so on. And we, we received positive feedback from our members that they actually did have a good opportunity to really delve into what kind of challenges they were facing uh, within their schools because, uh, you know, we, you often talk about metro and rural, rural or urban versus rural. And, you know, we have schools here in Metro, uh, you know, that may be facing different uh, different challenges. For example, we have some schools that have significant uh, immigrant prop, uh, or newcomer uh, populations, and the ESL needs are, are great, whereas in other areas it might be, uh, you know, you might see a heightened level of mental health concerns. In, in rural areas, it's, uh, uh, you know, that the class sizes may not be necessarily an issue, but the composition of those rooms are, are still quite heavy, but the uh, the complement of, uh, of assigned teachers to those areas are based on the numbers of students there so all in all it uh, it's it's a challenge no matter where you're teaching right now in the province indeed and each child is different uh, yep. and yep. has different needs and a teacher is very highly attuned to this so mm-hmm. so is this simply about getting more teachers or getting the right kinds of resources for classrooms i i think it's a combo uh, i i really think it's a, a situation where uh, uh, you know, basically, if you, if you truly take all the uh, the number of teachers we have in this province and start do, doing division and and basing classrooms on that, very quickly you're not you're, you don't have a needs based model. So there needs to be some reflection in this allocation of the heightened mental health needs that are in the province right now. And that's not just in this province; that's that's worldwide. So that that needs to be reflected. And other provinces have already uh, put significant monies into their mental health strategies within their schools. And and that's one piece of this is that. You know, whether that means uh, uh, more guidance counselors or more educational psychologists or it, it means uh, lesser numbers so are in certain in all our classes such that teachers can truly connect with children because we all know Linda that it's about relationships and if I have 30 say 33 kids in front of me every single day my ability to connect with 25 say over versus 33 or and I'm just throwing out numbers right now uh, you know it's about that relationship and that ability to track a kid and to see when they're off their game on, on that morning and to make sure or you follow through, uh, things are going to get missed if the numbers are too large, let alone when we get into junior and senior high and teachers are teaching multiple subjects and you might have well over 100 kids by the time you uh, uh, do all the subjects that you're teaching, right? So it's, uh, it, it's, that, it's that ratio that we're, we're very concerned about and the, and the more we can get to a, you know, a, a smaller uh, ratio and get, get the supports that children need from a relationship stance is where we would like to be. And some students, of course, demand more attention than others uh, in a variety of ways. Some yeah. know exactly what they're doing, if you know what I'm saying. And there's other students who might be left by the wayside because they simply don't garner that attention. Right. And so if you think of a classroom as, as a full, I guess, continuum of, of, of need, uh, you may have, uh, you know, you've got your, your kids who are obviously uh, may, may need supports, uh, you, know, you know, your children with learning disabilities and so on. Uh, uh, and you, you have your, your uh, neurotypical learners, so, you know, people are, are doing their thing. Uh, but no matter who you are in that classroom, 
you need support from a teacher. We can't presume that, oh, that person is, is extremely uh, capable and as a result uh, is, can be left on their own and they'll be fine. You know, we've heard cases, uh, you know, from lots of children and lots of families that, uh, you know, a child is, is very capable and in, in many ways is, is the exceptional learner uh, and, and is not getting the enrichment they need. Uh, the, the average, and I'll use that word loosely, the average learner, they, you know, whether or not you um, uh, uh, are... What, in whatever part of the continuum you're on, you need that regular contact with a teacher, and the teacher needs to be able to effectively monitor and evaluate you such that you can talk about those transitions and move into those transitions from a previous comment. And I guess this is a good segue then into your uh, Brave Face campaign. What's that all about? Right, and so uh, you know, we've got significant uh, positive response to this uh, to this new campaign. It's part of our overall uh, Invest in Our Kids campaign. Uh, so ultimately, um, bottom line, we need we need more investment in education, and it, it's going to take a, a paradigm shift in this province. Uh, rather than doing piecemeal things of saying, okay, uh, we're going to add this program here and there, and in and of themselves these programs seem great, uh, but there needs to be an overall rehaul of, of, of the education system in, in this province such that, uh, again, we can include teacher allocation, we can include mental health supports, we can include special services that's done in a way that meets the needs of all. Uh, and, and the Brave Face campaign, what it does is it, as I had said earlier, it shows what, what our teachers are doing right now. Uh, I've heard from so many teachers that have said that this campaign hits the nail head on um, and that uh, you know, before they get up in the morning or they go to class each day, they look themselves in the mirror and they say, look, okay, just get through. Because when they go in, as I said earlier, uh, the majority of our teachers are walking in truly not knowing what their assignment is going to be for that day, especially in recent months with the substitute teacher shortage. So it's about keeping doors open, and whatever that may look like inside the doors, uh, it may vary from day to day. I, offered, uh, uh, I heard one teacher say to me recently that uh, he's had seven weeks, uh, uh, he's had three prep periods over the last seven weeks. So uh, that would ultimately be probably an hour. Uh, how much would that be? That would probably be two hours of prep time over the last seven weeks during the school day, uh, let alone those teachers who can't even get to the washroom during the day or, or don't get a break from, say, 8 o'clock till 2.30 or 3. So it's, uh, you know, we're not trying to, to say the sky is falling and we're not, you know, we're not the type of association that comes out and says, woe is me. But we have a responsibility of painting a clear picture of what is going on in the school system right now. No doubt there's a lot of successes and we're celebrating another school year where children are, are graduating, children are have won championships in sport, they've done uh, good in music festivals and so on, but we need to paint a picture of what the school system is here, and we want to make sure that any investment uh, that is put into is a long-term investment that we'll see some benefits down the road. And uh, without going on too long on this comment, uh, the Conference Board of Canada, Canada just recently put out a report that says that for every dollar you put into education, the economy gets back a dollar thirty-seven or saves a dollar thirty-seven. And what that ultimately means, Linda, is there's less uh, people going into the justice system. There's less. There's better educated people who make better health choices, so the health system benefits, and uh, uh, social services is less impacted. So. The impacts or the benefits may not be as obvious in the next day or two, but over time, with years to come, you will see significant improvement in, in society and the economy. I got to ask, where did you find that little fella? He's a darling. <laughs> I got to say, of all the commercials, that young fella, <laughs> he, uh, and to my knowledge, uh, this, this young fella, I, I think he's going to be a rising star. I think he's going to oh, be Oh, for great. sure. <laughs> you can see it. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I know we're kind of laughing at it now, but that's the other piece of it, too. Our, our children 
they're seeing it when teachers come in and they have a heightened workload and they're trying to get through the day and a, a student is sitting there and they're not getting as much support as they might need there are children that are looking in that mirror or every day they're coming in saying well gee was i wish i just wish that miss smith was there to more often or that i could uh, get her attention more and that, that's the whole intent of that is, is as i had said earlier is that the school system is made up of teachers and students and uh, that system impacts every single family in this province so if we're going to improve society and we're going to improve uh, other services in the in this province it's through the education system that's going to happen i know there needs to be short-term investment in health care and, and those types of things that's a given but in order for this society and economy to improve there needs to be significant investment in education and when we come back after the break, I want to ask you a little bit about this big change that was announced this week uh, through the school system. We didn't see it through um, public health or anything, but uh, the discontinuation of the rapid tests in schools for now. Of course, it's the end of the school year anyway, but um, I want to ask you a little bit about that when we come back sure. after the break. My guest today on On Target is NLTA President Trent Langdon. We'll be back right after this. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now it's all on the table during your vocm lunch break and my guest today is trent langdon the end of the school year is upon us and uh, uh trent um we were talking a little bit about uh, what's been going on lately with um teacher allocations sizes and composition uh, it's the end of the school year they just announced that the uh, rapid test program, the rapid tests, of course, were distributed uh, through s- schools uh, across sure. Newfoundland and Labrador, and that's been discontinued. What's, what's your response to that? Well, uh, you know, all along, and we've, we've uh, respected the, the recommendations of public health, and, and that's been our, our guiding uh, light, I guess, through through all of this. Uh, but if there's ever a time, you're, you're, if, if public health feels they're ready, if there's ever a time, the end of the school year might be the time to say that. Uh, but as well, we need to gauge uh, going forward because, you know, if, we, if things are heightened, we're going to have to trust public health in this regard as well, that if things are start to, to ramp back up again, say mid to late August, we're, we're going to need to reinstitute those things into the system along with the other things, you know, masking and so on, if necessary. God forbid, we hope none of that needs to happen because, uh, if anything, I think we're all ready for us to conti- for life to, to move on. Uh, but for here and now, uh, the timing uh, seems right, and we've, we've trusted public health thus far, and we will continue to do so. I tell you, after the last couple of years, it was uh, some nice to see some things returning to normal, uh, yeah, school yeah. outings and tournaments and all of those wonderful things that make a childhood um, and your younger years uh, so memorable. And mm-hmm. teachers always stepping up to to do those extra hours on the weekends and that uh, coaching or uh, guiding or volunteering, whatever the case may be. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? The the, the extracurricular, uh, in addition to curriculum delivery, that that's the heart and soul of teaching, isn't it? Is, is making those connections with children, and uh, whether it be a, a high school uh, sports team or a, you know a kindergarten uh, uh, outing to the Flavarium, whatever it might be, uh, those are those are where memories are built, and uh, and you know it, it's something where we we want to 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 try and nurture that as much as we can, and uh, you know unfortunately with the substitute teacher shortage, you know teachers are finding more and more difficult 
difficult to, to fit all that stuff in. And uh, we, we, we don't want that to become the case because I know in my own schooling, that's totally what I remember. Yeah, I, I might remember uh, uh, a little bit of uh, history or whatever, but, uh, you know, it got me to a point where I, I really value my school experience by virtue of my teachers and by virtue of, of what experiences I had even outside of the classroom. And that's where it needs to be. And our overall approach to teacher allocation is not just curriculum-based. It's about giving students overall uh, an experience and to nurture them through the younger developmental years such that they can at least be as strong as they can be moving into into the workforce and into adulthood. You're right, though. You know, it's not what, you know, you don't usually remember what you said or what you did or those kinds of things, but you remember how you feel and you remember how you felt about a teacher and you can have those warm feelings because they stood up for me. I can't remember exactly what they did, but I know they had my back or uh, they introduced me to music. I was never into music before until I met this teacher and now it's part of my life. You know, those kinds of things that you never forget. Yeah, yeah, and you know our, uh, our Teachers Change Lives campaign, which I'm, I think most people in the province by now have seen them over the last two or three years. They're, they're really emotional and, and touching to, to, to experience them and to watch them, but I think everyone's got that experience. In spite of whether you had a, a positive, I guess, school experience or not, there, there's always generally someone within that school experience that, that was positive. I, I had many, I grew up in a very small town in Central, and I had so many positive teachers that went above and beyond, and uh, and even just little outings during Education Week and so on. That's, that's why you remember so that that's it's about getting the system back to uh, a functioning uh, state where uh, uh, the pressures are reduced such that teachers can really uh, be given the opportunity to 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 expand and build upon their practice in the classroom so you've been uh, head of the NLTA now how long is it gosh uh, yeah it'll be it'll be a year in August August 1st well now not even a full year yet um, no, so yet. what has the the past year taught you as as leader of the NLTA well, very good question. I don't know if I was anticipating that one. <laughs> uh, I, I got to say, it's it's it's. I've always considered myself, I guess, somewhat flexible in terms of how to deal with things. My my training as a guidance counselor, but th- that's what this is. We we we've got to be ready to move uh, in the education system and deal with things as as they come up. But learning from experience and learning from history, and the world is is demonstrating that to us every single day, isn't it? In in terms of what history can bring to the table, and in this province, we know full well that an educate we've had such a strong education system. Uh, for example, Memorial University Faculty of Education is uh, celebrating its 100 years uh, this year, centennial. Uh, so the, the history of education training and the history of, of, of strong schools in this province has been has been uh, one of the key pieces to why so many Newfoundlander and Labradorians have gone on to be successful worldwide. And uh, I, I, that's, that's where my head is. We need to be able to be flexible. We need to be able to adjust accordingly. But we need to make good decisions moving forward to, for the new world. This is not uh, the Newfoundland and Labrador of 1970. It, it is, is 2022, and, and the world is different. We've got to be ready, and that investment, uh, and I'll, I'll make that statement again, that there needs to be a longer-term plan for investment in education here. We're willing to be a part of it. The, the experts are on the ground. The teachers are the experts. We want to be a part of it, and building that system for, for all families is where it needs to be. You mentioned Memorial University's teacher um, education program uh, 100 years. This is unbelievable, and my mom was one of those very early graduates, and uh, I can remember seeing pictures of all these fresh-faced young people, and that was the thing back then, you know, uh, back in the uh, 50s 
50s and yeah. 60s, you wanted to be a teacher. Do you yeah. find that it still has the same draw? What are some of the, I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, benefits of being a teacher and making those kinds of differences in people's lives? Well, you know what? I, I'll be the first to say that it's not an easy profession, and, and people need to realize that going into it. It's certainly not a walk in the park. Is it rewarding 100%? Is it challenging? Yes, as I just said. Uh, but you've got to know what you're getting into and what you can bring to, you know, coming in as a teacher right now, you need you need psychological background, you need behavioral training, you need uh, uh, critical response training, you need so many other uh, tools in the toolkit to become a teacher. It's not simply about curriculum. And you ask any of our retired teachers, they always had those skills, but it, it, they may not have realized it, but very quickly uh, they were put, thrown into situations where they had to turn on a dime and, and, and respond to situations. But with the global situation as it is with social media and uh, influences that otherwise may not have been as, as a parent in Newfoundland and Labrador through the years, we, we need to raise the bar here. Uh, I know government is putting money into, say, coding and other technological advances, but uh, before we can get into really benefiting from those, we've got to hit the social-emotional needs of our children in the schools, and whether that's mental health, whether that is reduced class sizes, that's really how we're going to stabilize our population such that they can move on in the tech sector and move on into trades. Um, you know, you can't put enough emphasis on, on family support and, and student support, and in, that's where my heart is, and I, I think uh, that that's, that's the, the true uh, success moving forward. And, you know, another example is our newcomers. They need a so, social-emotional supports coming in here, and they, they need to know that they're, they're cared for and looked after, and if the social services support them, we're going to have a strong uh, newcomer population, and that is the long-term plan in my mind. So it's the end of the school year. What's, what's your message, I suppose, to your members and, and to students? Yeah, definitely so. I appreciate the opportunity, Lynn. And by the way, if I don't get a chance, congratulations on your Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, just, just to end off, I guess, uh, or the key messages for me is... Uh, uh, Education has such a key role in this province, but you look in pretty much every single community in this province, there's a school, and the school is the hub of activity, and we need to prioritize that. Uh, the teachers are the educational experts. They, they, they day in, day out work with children six, seven, eight hours a day. Uh, they're in contact with them after hours through email and, and so on, so they are the constant in the lives of our children, and that needs to be prioritized. The only other message I want to say is uh, be safe, for God's sake, be safe. My biggest worry when kids go off uh, for the summer is that uh, they be safe or my biggest worry is that there something will happen I just want to make sure they're safe come back in one piece I always say uh, it's hard to teach a kid that's in two pieces it was a big joke I used to say anyway some some kids laughed uh, but uh, yeah come back safely and and to our members uh, thank you for the work you've done you've uh, uh, I think parents have really saw the value that teachers have brought uh, to society in the last two three years much more than in the past say and uh, teachers have really stepped up so thank you to them and all the best for a safe and happy summer fantastic and yes, I can't emphasize that uh, message that you sent um, about being safe. Uh, for drivers out there, not used to seeing the kids on the roads uh, over the last little while, they're going to be everywhere. I noticed yep. a big increase in youngsters on their scooters and their bikes in and mm-hmm. around neighborhoods in the last couple of weeks since the weather has turned better. So you can expect to see a lot more of that now this summer. So please be careful out there. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. Now, Trent, you know what it's like. I'm in radio. I have been for the last 33 years. You know what song I'm going to play next. Uh, School's out for summer, maybe, yeah. Alice Cooper, you got it. (laughs) Uh, Trent Langdon, thank you very much. All the best. And no doubt we'll be chatting again before September or around September when the new school year starts. In the meantime, we're going to take you out with a little bit of Alice Cooper. Thanks so much. Have a great one.